Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Harder! Your Grace! I know that you want to listen to Binge Mode, but Binge Mode has adult content and... Good. You should head to bed. I'm not tired! And now, Binge Mode. How many wars have you fought in, Sebastian? Three. Have you ever seen a war where innocents didn't die by the thousands? I was in King's Landing after the Sir Khaleesi. You know what I saw? Butchery. Babies, children, old men. More women rape than you can count. There's a beast in every man, and it stirs when you put a sword in his hand. Hello, and welcome to Binge Mode. Woo! I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished yes. playing musical chairs to secure a choice spot at the small council table, yes. it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hello! Jason, thanks for joining us. There is no time. To wave our blunders around like a flag. That's We've right. got to get down to it. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. We're deep diving one episode at a time. Spoiler warning for all of you, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books alike for this season and beyond. But we ask you to practice some Tywin-esque patience because it's time to break down season three, episode three, Walk of Punishment. <laughs> People love to overpraise a famous name. And people also love to actually revisit the plot points from these episodes because <laughs> it's hard to keep all of this straight. So let's refresh ourselves on what actually transpired in this third installment by taking a very quick trip down our own King's Road. At River Run, Lord Hoster Tully's funeral, his son and heir, and now the Lord of River Run, Edmure Tully, disgraces himself by bricking two funeral arrows. Uh, the Blackfish, Hoster Tully's estranged brother, and luckily Steph Curry with the shot saves the ritual from a shameful end. Edmure further displays his pale ass cheeks in a meeting with King Rob when he explains his rationale for seizing a mill. Rob wanted Edmure to hold his position in order to lure the mountain into a trap. Instead, he wasted men and a material on a valueless mill, allowing the mountain to slip away. Over in King's Landing, Tywin. Running that small council meeting like a fucking pro. He is the hand now, and everybody is literally just just rotating around him yes. like he is their son, moving their chairs around him. And he is concerned. He is concerned that all these people who have all these spies don't have a fucking clue where his son Jamie is. No <laughs> news. No news of the most valuable prisoner and captive in the land. No one knows where he is. Varys? Says they'll try to do better. Try to do better. Tywin, moving on to other matters. Busy council meeting. Wants a little finger to go lock up Liza Aaron in the veil and wants Tyrion to start counting those coppers as the new master of coin. Tyrion and his loyal squire, pre-sex god pod, visit Littlefinger. Baelish hands over the books. Thanks, Tyrion, also for securing Roz's release. And uh, Tyrion, you know, loath to admit it, but he needs a little training from Littlefinger here about how to operate as Master of Coin. This is new to him. He's an expert at spending money, not at saving it. And uh, 
on the way out, gives Pod a thoughtful gift. Finally thoughtful. found a way to repay him for saving his life at the Blackwater. A uh, lot of whores. A lot of flexible flex- ones. Miranese not. You don't see that every day, guys. You don't, uh, you don't see unless even you when to, you're Even when you're an listen, incognito in Chrome, you don't see that it. every day. You just don't. Not sure how it works, but it looks <laughs> painful, but I, you know, I'll go with it. And uh, it turns out in one of the biggest twists in six seasons of Game of Thrones, Pod is such a masterful lovemaker that the women refuse to accept his coin. That's right. He's a stickman, as they say. Yeah, he's a masterful swordsman. And Tyrion and Bronn, they're just there. They need to know everything. They need to yeah. know everything. And then they also they also need to uh, to learn a little bit and teach a little bit about loans. The economy. How does it work? How does it work? At the inn at the crossroads, faded inn where so much has happened. The Brotherhood load the hound into a wagon in order to take him away. Arya and Gendry are going to go along. Hot pie. He's found his calling. He's going to stay. Yeah. Work as a baker. Beyond the wall. Mance and his scouts are examining the carnage at the fist. A lot of horse parts yeah. in a spiral pattern Strange. that we've seen and will see again. Yeah. Guys, not a lot of men because uh, they're zombies now. They're risen from the dead. They're whites. John asks Mance. If he thinks anyone survived. And Man says it doesn't matter because the Lord Commander and his troops, one way or another now, whether they're dead or whether their numbers are shredded, they are weak. They are weak and they are vulnerable. So he asks Tormund to take John and a handful of others and to scale the wall, attack Castle Black. And not sure if you've heard him say this before, guys, but he's going to build a really big fire. Mormont and what is left of the Great Ranging, they arrive at Craster's. They are a smaller flock, as Craster yes. unkindly notes, and reluctantly this uh, disgraceful fucker lets them in and harangues them over Gilly's birthing whales. Uh, Sam just goes and takes a peek. He's curious what's oh, happening in there just... and notices that, unfortunately, mm. Gilly has given birth to a son. You know what that means. Up at the Dreadfort, the first episode of Flayed, Ramsey Snow's new prank show airs. Ramsey, posing as a rescuer, releases Theon, tells him he's there from his sister. Um, in reality, Ramsey just wants to hunt Balon's last surviving son down like an animal, wants to torture him as much as he can. Dragonstone. A lot of sad <laughs> shit happening here, guys. Stannis. Melisandre is... Getting all is, soft and weak. She's got to go. She's got to go find some piping hot boners. Give me another son. And he just is like, uh, I thought we were going to Netflix and chill. What's uh, what's going on here? Well, what's you're too weak. Here? You're too weak for that, my king. I'm no. sorry. No, well, no, no. I'll stoke your fire. No, 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 no. I'll no, stoke no. your fire. You're much too weak now. She gives him a savage eye roll when Brittle. he goes in for the hug. Brutal. Over in Astapor, Danny takes pity on a crucified slave. He gives she gives him water. Sir Barrison counsels her to leave this city. This is a not a safe place for you. Jorah wants her to stay. Meanwhile, you got to build an army somehow. Those two bicker over the direction of the coming war. Danny, through Missandei, negotiates with Crazy Kraz. She wants 8,000 Unsullied, plus the half-trained boys, plus Missandei, and she offers one, parentheses, numeral one, dragon. <laughs> Jorah and Barristan promptly flip the fuck out. On the road to Harrenhal, Jamie and Brienne, now prisoners of the Bolton, still bickering though as they're tied back to back on the back of a horse, Jamie warns Brienne that she will be assaulted that night. Surely these men have never lain with a highborn woman. Jamie was right. After camp, the Boltons fall on Brienne. 
Jamie comes to her rescue, meanwhile concocting a story about the famed sapphires of Tarth and the bejeweled ransom that Lord Selwyn Tarth, her father, would pay for his daughter's safe return. Uh, The Boltons then take out their frustrations on Jamie, and one thing leads to another, and his sword hand gets chopped off. Man. Jason. Yes. It often comforts me to think that even in war's darkest days... In most places in the world, absolutely nothing is happening. That's true. But uh, while Blackfish's sage words may be true, our heroes are dealing with quite a lot right now and at great cost. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end or... Well, I think in honor of Podrick, we should stick it with the thick end. Let's do that. Let's do that. (laughs) The (laughs) defining theme of this episode is strength and the fragility of strength. You have to be strong to rule. We hear people say it over and over again. You have to be strong just to survive in this world. But it's hard to stay strong when you're constantly losing, right? And we see, we see this struggle, this reality chipping away at almost everybody in this episode in some form. And let's start by spending a little bit of time with some of the new characters. We've got Rob, obviously, and we've got Edmure Tully and the Blackfish. And strength is a key theme of their conversation. What a fantastic introduction to Edmure Tully. Incredible. The oldest son of Hoster Tully and now the Lord of Riverrun. You got to get those arrows in, dude. You no know, range. That's our first exposure to Edmure is him not being able to hit Hoster's funeral canoe, which would be an absolute disgrace. Rob is clearly audibly and visibly chuckling in the background as this is happening. Yeah, I, I just love the way the blackfish just dismissively tosses the, the, bow. the bow into his <laughs> chest. Later on uh, at the meeting between Rob and Edmure, when, when Rob wants to know, so why did you grab this mill? Yeah. And, you know, Edmure wants to project strength uh-huh. and initiative, not just strength. And he wants to impress Rob, right. who he hilariously calls nephew, <laughs> even though. So good. <laughs> even though, as the Blackfish points out, he's your king. Yeah. You're lucky yeah. I'm not your king. I wouldn't let you wave your blunders around like a victory flag. He doesn't realize fully what he's done. And, you know, he he just digs this hole. And Rob doesn't need to dress him down in the way he does, but he does because I think you know, you're seeing you're really seeing the tension and the pressure of the war tell on Rob. Just the way he absolutely like you know yes. dismisses him. Uh, you know, Edmure is trying to defend himself. You know, I think King Rob knows that we're not going to win this war if he's the only one winning battles. There's enough glory to go around. Edmure wants to. The reason Edmure sees this mill is because he's like, hey, this is, hey, uh, initiative. I, look, I'm a player. We, you know, we're all doing this. I saw an opportunity. I took it. Rob, meanwhile, says it's not about glory. Your instructions were to wait. Why wait? Why? Because why are you wasting men on a fucking grain mill? I wanted to draw the mountain out. I wanted him to attack you into the West, into our country where we could surround him. We could cut him up. We could kill him. I wanted to chase him as he would have done because he's a, you know an animal without a right. strategic thought in his head. <laughs> I wanted his head on a spike instead. I have a mill, and Edmure, as <laughs> I love when when Rob says, "How many men did you lose?" and Edmure says, "208." Just 208. But for every man <laughs> they struck down, <laughs> I killed five, no six, seven Lannisters. For 
And then, you know, Rob, of course, you know, we need our men. Right. This is We're the first time. We're getting more men. He really loses it here. This yeah. is the first time that Rob, we really see Rob frazzled. Yes. He's not feeling good. He says, we need our men more than Tywin needs his, right? right? This is an incredibly stupid reply from him yeah. here. I'm sorry. I didn't know. You didn't know you needed your men. I, I love when he, he also brings up. Uh, there's, uh, there's the the issue of the Lannister cousins. <laughs> I, I believe he's fifteen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Martin. Martin. Uh, Martin Lannister. Have you heard of Martin? Uh, he'll he'll can, be playing Tommen yeah, next, can, as soon as next season. You pull you up heard? his Instagram. He's quite active and. He's making an ass out of himself, but Rob has no patience for this. And Rob wouldn't be reacting this way if other things were going better for him, right? You know, he says, if you'd just been patient, if you had just been patient. But this is actually part of Rob's problem is he always either thinks people can or should be able to read his mind. Right. They don't know what's going on inside his head. It's really on him. It's totally on him. Right. And so when the Blackfish says... We seem to be running short on patience lately. Rob is not just reflecting on his own shortcomings. He's projecting to the strength he sees around him from other people. He responds, you know, who isn't? Tywin Lannister. Rob's assessment of his own worth as a leader, it's not, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. He has these foes to compare himself right. to, and right now he's failing to, to meet their measure, right? And the Blackfish has another pretty cool moment later in this episode where he is sitting with Kat. They're looking out at the river. It's sad. They're talking yeah. about Hoster. It's touching. Beautiful scenery. And Kat starts completely melting down as a mourning mother would about how she's never going to see Bran and Rickon again. And the Blackfish basically tells her to cut it out right. fast. He says Rob believes they're alive and he has to keep believing they're li- alive because he has got to remain strong if he's to prevail, and you must remain strong for him. So this is interesting for two reasons. One, he's aware the Blackfish is, is seasoned and savvy enough to know that sometimes strength is t- tied directly up in self-deception, right. right? But he also knows that Rob is pretty close to the edge here yeah. and that he can't afford to not believe this anymore. Right. He can't afford one more blow. Right. Contrast that with Tywin. And this is a difference between a rookie and a veteran. Rob came out hot, great rookie season, started winning, getting wins, putting up numbers. Tywin took those early L's, but what does he do? He adjusts. Yeah. Rob couldn't adjust to new realities. Tywin really could. And now what's he doing? He's sitting in his chambers, running small council meetings, and basically try just, harder. <laughs> just dunking on everyone. Where's my son? Well, you can't find him? Try harder. And then, you know, Varys comes with some weak, well, you know, uh, Rob Stark is at River Try Run for the, for the uh, funeral of his father. Uh, did, have I mentioned that? Uh, Try harder. Also, uh, the veil things are going on there. Uh, uh, other things. Try harder. You know, Tywin just is a pillar of strength. The guy doesn't sweat. And he's also trying at every turn to chip away at Rob's strength. You know, he's he understands that. He's and he's so dangerous with a pen. He doesn't need to be in the field. He sends Littlefinger, who he knows has has a prior relationship with Lysa Aaron. Then the young wolf can add his own aunt to the list of people who've taken up arms against him. This is a dangerous ploy, and it's also one that Rob should be on the lookout for. I mean, this is already he's already turned a potential alliance with with the Tyrells against him. But Rob is just out there, not really sure what he's doing. You know. Rob is an idiot. John and Mance. 
Interesting, interesting to see how these guys are, are, are perceiving strength right now, right? Mance's entire plan really hinges yeah. on a show of strength. You know, again, when it's t- when it's time, I'm going to light the biggest fire the North has ever seen. This is really funny now to look back on because this was a big thing in the season three promos. It was cool to have an actor of Karen Hines' caliber in the yeah. show. This is in every trailer. You think it's going to be huge. He's in like 45 seconds of the show, and right. then we never see him again. Walks this away, is the moment. Throwaway line, and it's <laughs> it. That's it. it. But it's kind of like telling, right? Because it's all he needs. He needs to say, boy, this fire is going to be big, because boy, do I feel strong, and boy, does my enemy look weak. Right. That's all it's about. It's about measuring strength and weakness. He is counting on the fact that Mormont is a weakened foe. He says, dead or alive, he took a big gamble coming north, and he lost best fighting men are dead, right? He knows this. He knows the enemy that Mormont just faced. Whether he's a lord commander of the Night's Watch or a blue-eyed corpse, he's a long way from home. This is correct, right? When your enemy's weak, you have to be strong and you have to be strong fast. No hesitation on Mance's part. He pounces immediately. He tells Tormund, climb the wall, take this little baby crow with you, right. see if he means what he says. He doesn't throw him off. Throw him off. It's really high. Yeah. So he's not going to be able to fly all the way down. And, you know, where's the watch? What situation are they in while Mance is, is plotting their downfall? Well, they're getting fucking owned. <laughs> By Craster, who proudly admits that he feeds his pig better than them because the pig has value to him. Uh, Craster has the confidence of a guy who feels that he is under something or someone else's protection, something powerful. He says, you know, I'd have turned you all away if I wasn't a godly man. Mormon, taken aback at this, like, you are a godly man? You're here with your 20... (laughs) Daughter wives? What are you freaking talking about? I am. I've got no fear of what's out there. When the white cold comes, your swords and cloaks and blade fires won't help you. The only ones left will be those who are right with the gods, the real gods. He's been giving his kids, his his sons, to the White Walkers for years, untold number of years. And obviously they've been leaving him alone. You know, they'll let him go. He's their baby factory. And that's, you know, that's how he lives his life, just by projecting this kind of swaggering, no one can touch me strength. He doesn't really realize the danger of letting 20 or so uh, desperate men with swords into his house because he just feels like I'm untouchable. I've been hanging out with the White Walkers all this time. Nothing's happened yet. When Gilly's screaming in labor... Craster turns to his other daughter wife and goes, go tell her she can bite down on a rag or she can bite down on my fist. A charming man. Boy, he sucks. You know who doesn't have any of that bravado or confidence right now? Stanny Sr. Oh my God. Poor Stanny Sr. This was sulky. Pathetic. Where are you going? He doesn't doesn't want Mel to leave. Right? She's, She's sailing. She's sailing away. And, uh, you know, she found someone that she wanted to swipe on Tinder, and he, Give me a son. he is just devastated. <laughs> he literally says, this is a guy who thinks Very bad. that he should be king, right? Who thinks people should be lining up to fight for him. And here's what he says to a woman. You're abandoning me. <laughs> what? Stannis, dude, what are you doing? She She looks at him with... Such pity. It's sad. I will never abandon you. You are the son of fire. I am sworn to serve you. That is not the same as saying I like you and want to be with you. I am sworn to serve you, right? And he says, then serve me. 
when I return, you'll understand. But he's so needy, right? He, he, he can't accept this. My enemies think they've destroyed me. They're laughing at me. The way Renly laughed at me. This is a lot of like, a lot of insecurity bubbling up to the surface here. I want Joffrey dead. I want Robb Stark dead. Make me another son. I cannot. <laughs> this is Why? <laughs> you don't have the strength, my king. It would kill you. I'm not so easily killed. Men have been trying for years. I want you. Then she rolls her eyes so fucking savagely Man. that you fires burn low, my king. Low tea. Brutal. She's literally just saying you're not strong enough. Yeah. You are not strong enough, but I need the blood that's in your veins and your family's veins. So I'm going to go find a younger, stronger, hotter a young, dude. A young orphan. Put a leech on his strapping. Track. Yeah, Danny is rightly horrified at the things she sees along the, the key there, the walk of punishment. But Jor's pleased to her hinge on the idea of, you know, you've got to, if people are going to flock to your banners, they have to think you're going to win. And if the only way that they're going to think that is if, if you're strong. If you want to sit on the Iron Throne, he tells her, you're the one that your ancestors built, you must win. That will mean blood on your hands before this thing is done. The blood of my enemies, not the blood of the innocents. You know, uh, listen, innocents are going to die. You know, Jorah tells her, do you know what it was like when right. I was in King's Landing was that night? I, I was, was there. there. When, when Lord Tywin's forces swept into the city and just butchered and raped and killed the children, he says, there's a beast in every man and it stirs when you put a sword in its hand. But the insulted are not men. Their stems and berries have been cut. They do not rape. They do not put cities to the sword unless you order them to do so. If you buy them, the only men they'll kill are the ones you want dead. A.K.A. this is a cleaner way. Right. You can send them in. They just take out the things you want taken out. All the property value stays up. You know, important people stay living. Keep that curb appeal. This is this is the way to do it. Danny is not convinced. She asked about Rhaegar. He says that Rhaegar's men bled and died for him because they loved him. Great harp player. Good musician. Good looking guy. They believed him. Not because they've been bought. She, you know, he's he was the last dragon, which, of course, Danny nope. takes some umbrage at. Sir Barristan tells her, you know, Rhaegar fought valiantly, Rhaegar fought nobly, and Rhaegar died. And Danny finds her strength, and we see it in the way she replies him. I wish I had known him, but he was not the last dragon. Stop calling other people the last dragon, guys, if you're going to work for Danny, okay? And then we see in her bargain with, with Kraz, when she offers up a dragon, it's notable that she doesn't let Jorah and Barristan into it. Khaleesi, please. Yeah, doesn't let them in on the plan because she understands that their reaction will help sell the thing. Right. S help sell Kraz on, oh, this naive, this naive little blonde wants to give up the dragon. And, you know, he really presses it. Three, one, three, one, two, one, two, one. All right. And but you know he still thinks that he's got the deal. And then the other notable thing about this, and she, Danny played this incredibly, but it was a gamble because right. when she walks away from that, and after she's purchased uh, Miss Andy, she then she's like, so wait, I can order them to do anything, right? This is she. She wasn't even sure totally how it was going to work, the, right. the plan had formed, but she's showing the steel, that Valerian steel, that her heart. You know, she and Rob both make the choice to basically keep something close to the vest there, right. and it works a lot better for one of them than for right. the other. Um, hey, guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. 
live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Jamie and Brienne, they're they're low on choices right now, right? They are not in control of their fight own back or don't fight back circumstances. But this is an unacceptable reality for them, yeah. right? So, Jamie, his what do we know about him? We know a lot. We're learning more. We know mostly that his entire sense of self, his entire identity, yeah. it's tied up in the idea of strength, the idea of his own strength, his worth as a fighter, his worth as a knight. They're prisoners tied up on horseback, yeah. and Brienne has just bested him on a bridge, partially leading to their capture, and yet he's still saying, he's basically still boasting, yeah. right? Even despite all that, if you just properly armed me. Well, th- look this at, never would have happened. Think, think back to how he was when he got that sword, and he's flipping it back and forth right. between his hands. He I never understand so- why, two, why some knights insist on carrying two swords. He just looked so comfortable. Very cocky. But Brienne, she is not here for right. any of it. She is calling him out on the bullshit. She says, all my life I've been hearing, Jamie Lannister, what a brilliant swordsman. You were slower than I expected. And more predictable. And he says, I've been sitting in a muddy pen wrapped in chains for a year. And she says, and I'm a woman. Maybe you were as good as people said once. Or maybe people just love to overpraise a famous name. There's basically nothing that you could say to Jamie that would impact him Mm -hmm. as severely as that comment. But... His reaction to this is interesting. It's simultaneously an attempt to turn the tables and basically make her as uncomfortable as he feels, but also sort of the product of the fact that he is actually starting to care. He does ha- actually have some goodness right. inside of him. He warns her. He says, Locke's men are going to try to rape you tonight. You would be wise not to fight. Now, of course, she rejects this idea completely. She's right. deeply offended I by I suppose this. you wouldn't fight. Right. Exactly. And it calls him out on the hypocrisy. And- she hates this for everything it represents, yeah. right? What she's, how she's supposed to behave as a woman. And this is an assault really on her own sense of identity, her own sense of strength. She is not a fragile damsel. Right. She's a fighter. So this is really offensive to her. And yet she does benefit from his assistance later on, right? When Locke's men do attempt to rape her, Jamie intervenes and he he spins a yarn and says, the Sapphire Isle, you know, do you know why it's called that? Well, I bet her father would, you know, give you give you her weight in gemstones right. if you if you keep her alive with her honor intact. What does he get for this? Well, he gets his uh, he gets his hand chopped off. I think it's notable you know, what's that saying that the fish rots from the head? The Boltons are a rotten house, and they have been for centuries. And that kind of lack, complete lack of moral compass and like bone-deep lust for sadism has obviously trickled down to the various people that serve the Boltons. Right. Locke takes real... Uh, he really enjoys drawing Jamie into the oh, ruse. Yeah. Oh, would you like something to eat, yeah. Lord Jamie? Partridge? Yeah. Where's learn all those big he, words? He's really enjoying letting Jamie think that he's been bought. It's it's a absolutely brutal moment. Well, Jason, Jamie screamed bloody murder when Locke took his hand, but the Unsullied don't make a peep. <laughs> no. 
And as Miss Sandy tells Danny, all questions have been taken from them. This is a sort of potent and very sad thing to hear. Who are these people? Who are these soldiers that Danny is about to risk a dragon or at least pretend to risk a dragon to procure? Let's assemble the conclave. Let's head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about the Unsullied. The Unsullied. Raising an army is easy. There's only really, there's only three ways to do it. One, you can inherit or in very rare cases be raised to the high lordship of a region containing significant amount of vassal houses and military-aged citizens, and then it's just a matter of having your maester send the ravens out, call the banners, there you go, boom. Number two, get out the checkbook, buy some sellswords. That's, it's expedient, the drawback being mercenaries are free agents and are very prone to switching sides when it seems like you might lose or the other side has more money. Three, get your checkbook out, buy some unsullied. Aha! (laughs) The Unsullied, the famed slave eunuch soldiers from Astapur on Slaver's Bay. These are rigorously trained soldiers. Really a terrible, awful, brutal training process um, that creates these totally obedient, unflinching soldiers that will lay down their lives if you tell them to lay down their lives. You say, jump off this cliff, they will jump. and unlike normal armies, because at a very young age they have their uh, everythings, every the whole thing just sliced off and burned, and burned in front of them. Because of that, you take out some of the negative aspects of an army. When they take a city, um, there's no rape. There's no wanton rape and murder. They don't loot, not unless you tell them to do it. This is great because if you want to take a city, you want it somewhat intact and you want kind of the people who make it a city to still live there. Um, and that, and because of this, their prize is bodyguards. You can use them to guard your, your harem, etc. <laughs> Training begins at childhood. Um, young boy slaves, often supplied by Dothraki raids, are selected for their size and hardiness and put through just absolutely years of a meat grinder on the day on the day that they are cut the trainees are given a puppy oh and then at the i don't like this part no this is bad at the end of their first year of training they must then strangle the puppy now a dog now a one-year-old dog seven-year-old in dog years this is horrible they have to kill it with their own hands and if they don't you are killed yourself and fed to the surviving dogs. Any trainee who fails at any task in training, any task at any time is cult. Um, to graduate, an unsullied must buy a newborn from the slave market and kill it in front of its mother. Guys, this is bad. <laughs> this is very bad. The people that make it through this process become unsullied, unthinking, unflinching killers, and you can buy them in groups of a hundred or a thousand. What a bargain. Here we go, guys. Bulk Do I hear 500 killers? Uh, The Unsullied won their reputation for efficient and cost-effective killing at Kohor 400 years ago during the century of blood, which was the century of chaos that happened after the fall of Valyria. The Dothraki arose at this time, sweeping in from the east, destroying cities, burning, looting, blah, 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 blah. The leaders of Kohor saw that this uh, horde was coming for them, so they're like, okay, we got to build up the walls, we got to double the city guard, and we need an army. They bought two 
sell sword companies. Great. And then almost as an afterthought, they're like, okay, what else do we need? Let's uh, unsullied. So they send for 3,000 unsullied from Astapor. Long walk from Astapor to Kohor. They had to, they had to go overland. By the time the unsullied arrived, the siege was already going on and it was not going well. The remnants of Kohor's army was just being eaten by vultures. The sellsword <laughs> armies had left because you can't, you can't spend your coin if you're dead. Luckily, when the Unsullied arrived, it was evening and the Dothraki were so confident that the city would fall the next day, which it probably would have, that they had retired to their camp to party. When they woke the next morning and looked at the gate, there were 3,000 unsullied arranged, shoulder to shoulder, shields locked together, spears pointed in an aggressive manner like a bristling formation of men and shields. And the Dothraki were like, yeah, fuck these guys. They charged in (laughs) and they charged in and they charged in, they charged in, they charged in. 18 times they charged in over three days and the unsullied held. When it was all over, 12,000 Dothraki screamers, including the call and his blood riders lay dead the cost of 2,400 unsullied. The remaining Dothraki cut off their braids, threw them at the unsullied feet, and rode away. This is the kind of thing that you put right up front on your ad campaign for unsullied. Hey, guys, <laughs> problems with Dothraki? <laughs> so no wonder Danny is looking to buy. Some quick caveats, though. Uh, you know, the Dothraki thing, uh, the way that you don't want to attack a position from horseback is at the front. You want to come in and from the side. So that, especially when they're you're talking about spears and mast shields. So this was the Dothraki handled this the wrong way, but you know it's whatever. That's an asterisk for later. The other weakness with with the Unsullied, uh, you know, as you know, they don't loot, they don't burn unless you order them to. The drawback of that is they don't have a lot of initiative. If there's an opening that happens on the battlefield, someone's got to be there to tell them, hey, go do that thing because they won't just do it. They have to be ordered to do it. They're slaves, after all, and Danny's going to have to get used to that. Can we just leave the puppies out of this? Uh, you know, it's, like, that's a what, tough one. Is that, I mean, is that also, like, really where necessary? Send for the puppies! Why do we have to strangle the puppy? All right, no more puppy puppy killing talk. This is upsetting. Let's move on to happier tidings. Uh, the secret history of the Seven Kingdoms right. is written in Littlefinger's ledgers, or so Tyrion would have you believe. But the secret history of Game of Thrones is spoken right here in the Seven. It is time to head to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, Lightning Round style. As always, Jason, you go first. What's number one? When Arya approaches the Hound at the inn, he uh, she asks if he remembers the last time they were there. That's because yeah. that's where the Hound rode down Micah, the butcher's boy. He ran. Number two, speaking of Arya, uh, her farewell exchange with Hot Pie is iconic. It really is. It is priceless. He, you know, why, why is he staying? What's going through his mind? Well, he wants to bake. My brother ain't no king. I ain't no Stark of Winterhell. Winterfell. Are you sure? I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I kind of I grew up there. <laughs> then he gives so. her he gives her this this very delicious loaf of bread that Jason rudely said looked like a creature of the sea earlier, and Arya says tarantula, maybe. What is it? Yeah. It's a wolf. <laughs> this is <laughs> definitely the best moment. the The look that Arya and Gendry exchange yeah. here. 
It's very reminiscent of the pitying expression that Melisandre gave Stannis, but this one's a little more loving. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> All right, number three. Back at the fist. Yeah. Manson Company overlooking the carnage, looking at that strange spiral mm-hmm. pattern which we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And Manson says, always the artist. He's obviously got some experience with this. Yeah. Just a tie-dye t-shirt. It's an interesting thing to snow. say. Yeah. He's seen this before. He has. Number four. Talisa, wrapping up Martin Lannister's oh, arm. Guys. Don't worry. My husband won't kill you. She's really flirting with, with Martin, first it's, of all. Yeah. I don't Shameless. But future Tommen. Tommen was obviously right. recast. It is, it's just kind of fun to see him playing another character. They obviously were like, you are really just, you have a nice pleasing face, very telegenic, and you look like you're ready to literally walk out of a window. So you're perfect. You're perfect for the part. Number five. They should play this scene every time that you that someone signs up for a credit card. And the scene I'm talking about is Tyrion teaching Bronn about lending money. Usury, as they said in the medieval times. Uh, Tyrion is explaining, you know, the premise. You lend money and then it's a certain amount of interest is accrued. And then you got to pay it back. And Bronn says, well, what if, what if I don't? <laughs> It's a good question. Yeah. It's the first question you should ask. Tyrion says, well, you have to. But what if I don't? This is why I don't lend you money. <laughs> and then we get our first little shout out about the Iron Bank. Anyway, it's not my father I'm worried about. It's the Iron Bank of Bravos. We owe them tens of millions. Tens of millions, guys. If we fail to repay these loans, the bank will fund our enemies one way or another. They always mm. get their loans back. Hmm. wonder what enemies the Iron Bank might fund. Oh, there's Jason. plenty. There's a lot, to be honest. Number six. We've mentioned this line earlier, but let's appreciate this for a slightly different context. When Stannis says to Melisandre, I'm not so easily killed. Men have been trying for years. Men. Men have been trying for years. Maybe it will take a woman. Do you, duty? Number seven. Shouts to my dude, the thickness sex god pod. (laughs) Bow down to Pod. Meaty Pod, what are you doing? What is he doing? What kind of techniques? What kind of mirish knots? Lots of things. He's doing <laughs> stuff. Tyrion uh, is very good to his yeah. squires. Yeah. You know, I finally found a suitable reward for saving my life, mm-hmm. by the way. Tell me, Pod, have you ever been with a woman? No, my lord. <laughs> and then, you know, like walking him through the various... The buffet. The buffet of flesh. <laughs> Fantastic when Pod comes back and is like, oh, here's that. Yeah. The Pod, bag it was co- a gift. The pack of coins. By the way, Pod, pocket that, too. <laughs> Pod and John. Yeah. Naturals. John just, Naturals. Hey. We're not there yet, but. A giver. All right. Well, uh, you're nothing without your daddy. Yeah. And your daddy ain't here. But there is good news. Each episode, we are honoring the person or persons who played the game the best, advanced his or her cause in the most exciting way. This week, the winners. A bunch of fucking assholes, but we begrudgingly have to give them their due. It's Locke. It's the Boltons all across the land. They're dominating. Interesting question. Do you think that the red wedding is is afoot at this point. Do you think Roos is? Do you think Roos has gotten the letter somehow? Message has gotten to him, and he is beginning to move in that direction. He says that you know he says something to Karstark that's very interesting. 
previously and you know it's hard to hard to read Roos. It's a really good question. It's certainly possible that Tywin is already in touch. Right. It's also possible that Tywin is already in touch with the phrase and that Bolton is not fully involved yet. But what is Tywin hearing, right? What right. is all these little bits of intel that they're soaking up? Who's by Winterfell now? Who? Right. Bolton's, Bolton's bastard. Who is at who is at Harrenhal? Bolton. Right. Those are two crucial points on the map. So if he's not already, if those letters that he's been writing haven't already gone to Bolton, they're about to. And we know that Bolton is going to be a receptive audience. Right. Now, Locke, not a book character, right? Right. Where are you at, Vargo? Vargo Holt. Where are you at? It's a little confusing. You start bringing Vargo and Very. who do they work for and it's Very. the whole thing. This is more streamlined. This right, is right. one of the areas where the change makes sense. Right, right. But we don't yet know as show viewers that the boy who's pretending to be on Theon's side is actually Ramsay. We don't fully understand what Locke's deal is. We don't yet know about Bolton's readiness to turn his cloak. But all of these things are either happening or in motion. And even without a full appreciation in episode three for the ramifications of what's happening and the extent of it, we still know that at the end of the day, they have Jamie. Yep. That's huge. He's the most important prisoner, the most important b- bit of human capital and land he is in their possession. Locke, ultimately pr- pretty stupid to cut off Jamie's hand, but in the moment, right. it's a power play. Right. In the moment, it's an act of domination. He also thinks that he's about to get rich right. from what he's done with Brienne or not done with Brienne. This is a lot. This is a lot. Everyone is losing and they are gaining. All right, guys. Our fires are burning low, so that's uh, that's it for today. But we uh, hope that you had as much fun as we did and that you will join us next time when we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 4, and now his watch is ended. Until then, remember, pace yourself, lad. And I just love the way that uh, Bronn and Tyrion are like, well, come, what? What did you come <laughs> sit down? Explain this to me. Yeah. They're what mystified. The, the female orgasm? Is this what you're telling me? It exists? <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Are you sure? 